Um, so one of the things that comes from an outreach like that is Reese's peanut butter cups. Anyone else love the combination of chocolate and peanut butter? Yeah, I mean, some things were meant to be. Gria, I see that hand, that thumbs down emoji in real life. Um, so unlike Reese's peanut butter cups, some things don't mix. I just learned of one last night, brand new. In Montana, evidently, I want you to envision a really yummy, warm cinnamon roll complete with the icing on top that is sort of melted in. My wife makes these about once or twice a year, and they are unbelievable. Can you smell it? So just imagine that sitting there, okay? Now, I want you to take like a ladle. That's a big spoon with a big fancy handle. I want you to dip it in a bowl of bubbling chili con carne and pour it all over your cinnamon roll. Who thinks that sounds good? Thank you. I think that sounds disgusting. I love chili. I love cinnamon rolls. In Montana, that's a thing. Isn't that weird? So when you think of moving out of state, do your research, people. Uh, There's some weird things that go on. I was on staff with a guy named Rick. Pastor Rick was our children's pastor. And this was over at what was called Los Gatos Christian Church at the time. And um, we were in this conference room. And I was one of, I think, probably nine or ten pastors. And we're in there. We're brainstorming. We've got whiteboards going and all this stuff. And we were kind of stuck. We're trying to figure out sort of how to get past some hurdles and some different things that were going on. And Pastor Rick was absolutely famous for mixing metaphors. So he'd grab a phrase from one thing and mix it with another. And and it was just, somehow he did this all the time. And it was always accidental and it never served his purpose. Well, we're in this really intense meeting. We're trying to figure out how do we get unstuck. And here's what Pastor Rick did. He mixed this metaphor. So there's a a phrase called spinning our wheels. And it's the idea of four-wheeling and being stuck in the mud and you're trying to accelerate, but the wheel is just spinning. You're not getting anywhere. And then um, he mixed it with this phrase, the idea of juggling too many balls. And that just means there's too much going on here. This fit the mode of the room. We were trying to figure out how do we hone in what we're doing. But Pastor Rick gives us impassioned speech. He's talking and everyone's quiet, listening to him at the whiteboard. And And it came out this. He goes, guys, I feel like we're just spinning our balls. And the whole room like stopped and burst into absolute hilarity. And Rick lost us all with his point. Whatever point he was making was completely lost on us. Now, you take half of a phrase and it can lead to humor like it did that day. It was one of the funniest moments actually served to get us unstuck because the meeting was getting kind of tense. So we're like, thank you, Rick. I know it was at your expense, but we appreciate it. Half of a phrase can be funny, but half of a phrase can also be really deadly. So you take something meant to be together and you cut it in half. I want you to just sort of get your brain around that for a second. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul is walking amongst uh, this place called Mars Hill. It's in Athens, Greece. And Mars Hill was sort of like uh, it was sort of like social media of the day where people would come and bring their ideas and exchange what they thought was current and, and meaningful, and they would come and, and do all these things. It was also a place of worship. And if you remember, there's a famous speech given in Acts chapter 17. It's a really good study in evangelism and just try, trying to speak about Jesus in a culture that doesn't honor Jesus. But here's what goes on. This famous speech that the Bible records for us was culturally relevant. What Paul did was he connected God's kingdom way with ways they already knew and understood. And he actually quotes from their own people. He says, look, your own poets say these things. So this is Paul reading the culture. 
and connecting God's way with their way. But he didn't stop there. The second part of the speech, the whole first part of the speech, is connecting with the culture. Track with me, okay? We're talking about not splitting things in two. The second part of the speech, he challenges that same culture. So there was a dominant culture that wasn't honoring Jesus Christ, just like ours today. Our dominant culture does not honor Jesus Christ. So how do we manage that? We do like Paul does. We, we connect with the parts we can connect with, but we go on to challenge the parts of culture that don't honor Jesus. And if you separate those two, there's a problem. The huge lesson for us is don't separate the story. There are people who read Acts 17. I've heard them. I've seen books. I've seen blog articles. I've seen videos on this. On how Christians today need to be like Paul on Mars Hill. We need to walk amongst the things people are worshiping and idolizing and connect with people. And I agree with that. But when you stop at that and don't go on to challenge the culture, here's what ends up happening. You end up coddling the culture. Coddling the culture is self-indulgent. It's leaving people in their mess. If you indulge your child, parents, kids, if your parents indulged you year after year after year, do you know what kind of teenager you become? A handful. Because no one's ever crossed you. You've been coddled. You've never been challenged. You don't really grow out of kindergarten. So what we see is Paul um, not coddling the culture, but rather following Jesus in love to eventually challenge the culture. So that's saying don't separate a story in the Bible. What I want to do now is sort of steer us to James chapter 1, verse 27. So just like we shouldn't separate stories in the Bible, we shouldn't separate verses in the Bible. And this is our text this morning. It's very, very short. It's sort of the John 3.16 of orphan care or foster care. You'll see this verse everywhere. And there's a dangerous trend that is going on with James 1.27. You know what it is? It's cutting the verse right in half. It's taking the first idea and leaving the second idea, even though they're embedded intentionally by God together. I go to this thing for um, workers in the space of foster care and orphan care and whatnot, and we were at a conference a couple of years ago, and we all got a conference bag. If you go to a conference, kids, they give you like a trick-or-treat bag, um, but it's for adults, and they give you this bag, and then you go around to all these different booths that are you know, sort of getting their name out there, and they give you stuff. So you end up at the end of a conference with all sorts of stuff, and then you sort through it at the end because like this much of it is useful and this much of it is just kind of wasteful and dumb. And then you wrap up some of those items and give them to your kids for Christmas. And they wonder why they got a little um, stress reliever ball from an organization in Kentucky. And now they know. My kids are sitting right here. Surprise. Um, but here's what happened on this bag. And my friend Sam pointed this out. He said, look at this bag. This bag says this. Pure religion is to help widows and orphans in their distress, full stop. What they did with James 1.27, if you're there, look at the verse yourself. What they did with James 1.27 is they cut the verse in half and put just part one on the bag. And you may say, big deal. What's the big deal of that? 
I think it's a huge deal, and this is the one idea that I want to land with you this morning. James 1 and 27 in the ESV, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, when you pause the verse right there, let me ask you a question. Who celebrates what this verse is talking about? Who celebrates doing good, visiting uh, those in distress like orphans and widows? Here's the answer. Ready? Everyone. Everyone celebrates helping orphans and widows. I get into tons of conversations. I got into one a couple of days ago around foster care. Tons of conversations. I don't have people go, why are you helping orphans? How dare you help kids experiencing foster care that need a loving and safe home? No one's ever said that to me. And I meet people from all over the religious spectrum. Here's the point. Enemies of Jesus Christ will celebrate and have no problem with helping widows and orphans. Just that phrase alone doesn't stir up anything in people. Our dominant culture says yay to that. People know it's good to help the helpless, that the strong have an obligation to the weak. But how does the verse go on? Look at it with your own eyes so you know I'm not making this up. James 1.27, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're to help the vulnerable and keep ourselves unstained from the world. Some of your translations may say this, refusing to let the world corrupt you. NIV says to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Here's the rub. This is where you will completely lose many people in your cause. Is if you abide by, speak out, and read this verse together and don't just chop it in half. So, help the poor. What does dominant culture say? Good for you. In Jesus' name, what does the dominant culture say? Shame on you. I've experienced it. I live this all the time. You want to help the poor and talk about helping the poor, you will be championed, cheered, liked, hearted, little-hearted. I mean, all kinds of things will happen for you. But you do that in the name of Jesus Christ, in the Jesus way, shame on you. It's moved beyond, well, that's not for me. You can have your own religion. It is rapidly moving towards, now you're doing damage if you do it in Jesus' name. So Jesus tells us how to get cleaned up which is offensive to people who don't think they're dirty. When it says unpolluted, unstained by the world, it implies to people that they are dirty. Listen carefully. Pure religion comes from pure people. And pure people are not born that way. Pure people are made that way by faith and friendship in Jesus Christ. So when it talks about helping orphans and widows, two classes of the most vulnerable then and now, and to do it in such a way that we remain pure, this is really offensive. 
So the way we love and serve and give and see the vulnerable is the Jesus way. I want to just challenge you with something. We sing all of the time. In fact, Lucas just led us so it really seeped in that we're chosen. We're not forsaken. The love of God keeps coming after you over and over and over. Last week we looked at, you're given rest as a child of God. You're welcomed at the, a seat at the table. Whether you've had a good week or a bad week, a good month or a bad month, the grace of God keeps coming after us and chasing after us, hunting us down and welcoming us in. We love to sing those songs. I love to sing those songs. I love to be reminded of who I am. But Christian, our story is not just a story for us to, to have and hold on to. Our story is to have, let it change us, and share. So that when we love the stranger in the way that Jesus loves us, when we pursue and see the needs of the vulnerable in the way that the love of Jesus sees and pursues us, it completes this beautiful picture of what God is doing. The dominant culture hates this way and will always seek to stop it, just like Jesus. We see this in Jesus' ministry, the ramped up war against him. Now, let me just say, some of the hate that comes from people around you may stem from hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Really quickly, it's when the inside doesn't match the outside. It means you're wearing a mask, like a little Jesus Christian mask, and people know, but that's not who you really are when you're not dressed up in that mask. I've experienced this firsthand. I've had some family members who were clergy and sort of put on some clothes one day a week and put on essentially a mask. And as soon as the service was done, literally took off some clothes and changed into regular clothes and it didn't impact the rest of their week. It was pretty eye-opening to sort of see that. That's hypocrisy. Some of the world's hatred comes from hypocrisy. Biblically speaking, the inner attitude and outward compassion are inseparable. Let me show you the Hebrew word. If you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see a word for personal righteousness. And I want you to see that it's actually identical to the term for outward justice. Let that sink in for a second. The word for inner personal righteousness and the word for um, outward justice, acts of mercy, helping the poor, visiting the orphan and widow in their distress, is identical. Here's the point. These ideas are inseparable. In fact, if you were to sever the inner righteousness that you say you're pursuing or have yourself convinced you're pursuing, but you aren't pursuing outer justice and mercy and love and sacrifice, you will bear the rebuke of Jesus. Let me show you where I'm getting this. When you cut these two in half, you bear the rebuke. First, before we get to Jesus, let's look at Old Testament. Uh, If you want to do some research, some Old Testament research, I know some of you do. You're like, Dave, just give me an Old Testament research uh, assignment. Here it is. Two prophets, Isaiah and Amos. Write two prophets' names down, Isaiah and Amos. Isaiah and Amos were super outspoken and worked up over this very fact. They were calling out the people of God. It is dysfunctional, more than that, nonsensical to say that we love God and have an inner righteousness without doing anything to actually act on it. 
That's Old Testament. Let's get to the New Testament. Jesus carries on the confrontation uh, when he's talking to the Pharisees. I didn't put this in your notes, but Luke eleven thirty nine, just a couple verses. It says this. You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Cleaning the outside, filthy inside. Ever left a coffee tumbler with the lid on a few t- uh, days too many? You thought it got washed? Is that just my household? Okay, that happens. That's a real story in our household. Um, you don't want to be the one unscrewing that lid and washing it. Guess who's responsible for washing uh, his own coffee tumbler? Me, because I'm the only coffee drinker in the house. So I have come upon that thing before. That's gross. That's what Jesus is saying. That's filthy. You're so concerned with the outside. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Luke eleven forty one says this. How does he say to the Pharisees to fix it? Listen carefully. He ties inside and outside, and outside and inside. He says, so clean the inside. Remember, he's talking to Pharisees who say your insides are filthy. Clean the inside by, lean in right here. How do we clean the inside, Jesus? Clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. The way you start a cult is you take that one verse and you build a works theology around it. You want to get right with God? Just give gifts to the poor. Jesus said it. And just like you, Jesus would be mad that you took him out of context, that you severed the story. Say, wait a minute, that is not the context of what I was saying. What Jesus is doing is he's reconnecting that which should never be severed. This one idea of giving gifts to the poor and having inner cleanliness has always been connected. Don't cut the baby in half. It kills it. Don't sever the two. Don't separate the two. Jesus is reconnecting what sin always breaks. Look at this quote by a guy named Tyler Statton. He's a pastor in New York. He says, A life of faith without mercy is a kingdom the king, capital K, doesn't recognize. It's impossible to know God through private prayer without equally participating God in public mercy. The way we say this all the time around here is to be a follower of Jesus, we hear and do what Jesus says. We act on what we know. Every single time you hear the word open and read and song sung, there ought to be a sense of leaning and saying, what's my response, God? How should I be acting on this? And intimacy with Jesus is the only way to connect these two. I want to show you a short video, and I found this video, and I thought, man, this captures some of what God has done over the last 17 years. These aren't our actual people But as I watch this video, in fact, Andres doesn't even know this yet, but Andres came in on Wednesday, I think, and he goes, good morning, and we have a goodbye, good morning culture around here. We don't just walk in and out without saying hi. We do that at home. We do that here at work. And Andres walked in. I'm usually the first one here. And he says, good morning, Dave. And I clearly heard him. My door was open, and I said nothing. You know why? I couldn't talk. I had just watched this video. I was super choked up. And I was just thinking, God, you've been so good. And the scenes in this video 
are scenes that many of us here, but many who have moved to all these different parts of the country have actually experienced. So these are like some home videos of some different um, just sort of foster and adoptive scenes that have gone on. Take a look and get a sense of what God has done um, here at our church. pick videos and you're supposed to talk after it, you have to be careful. I can even say hi to Andres a couple days ago. I want to give you guys um, just some really practical ways that NBC helps. And what I want to show you is this is how this church um, gets involved in this. Sometimes I go and talk at other churches. I say Foster the City for eight years now, we just celebrated eight years, has been our vehicle to the front lines of foster care. It's taken us as a church, people who want to help but have no idea how to help, and it's just like moved us like a vehicle right to the front lines and said, here is the next step. 
here's how you help. And Foster the City has been that for us. Uh, one of the incredible things about um, Foster the City, we have these interest meetings that go on all of the time. In fact, a next step for you would be just going to an interest meeting. And uh, we came across this guy, Don. We've met so many amazing people at interest meetings over the year. Just recently at an interest meeting down south, um, Don and his wife, Cheryl, were there. Listen to this. They have fostered 62 children over a 40-year span. 62 children over a 40-year span. And when, uh, when Don was asked to share his experience, his answer was really profound. He said this, the job of a foster parent is to love and learn what the child's needs are. To love and learn what the child's needs are. Meaning, think about how many. That's a lot of different children to learn how they need to be loved in each season. He carried on to say this, you become very attached to them all. And people would say to us, doesn't it hurt when the children go for adoption or back to their biological family? He said, the answer is yes. And if it doesn't, you haven't done your job. So one of the things we get a lot is people not wanting to foster, catch this, because they would get too attached. That's a really, really common sentiment. I don't want to foster because I would get too attached. If they welcomed a child into their home, they feel like they could never let them go. There's an author and seasoned foster parent named Jamie Finn, and she has some helpful comments about not getting too attached. She writes this, attachment is really the whole point of foster care. So people are not helping vulnerable because they don't want to get too attached. Attachment is the whole point of foster care. Kids don't just need homes and foods. They need families who are willing to give them their hearts. So allowing the attachment bond to grow between a child and a caregiving foster parent is the very means by which that child is going to heal from their trauma. So foster care, foster parents, um, they don't just provide room and board for kids, but foster parents have the immense and unique privilege, think about this, to potentially reshape how that child views the world. Without healthy attachments to other people, which in God's plan A is always grown in a loving and stable family between a father and a mother who are married in the covenant of marriage and stay together. Without those healthy attachments, um, little children go into teens and grow into adults who have no idea how to have healthy attachments with other people. So fostering those 62 kids, and guys, I've never ran the numbers. I've never even, like, I've never ran the numbers of what's gone on here at this church. And in some ways, it's just because, God, you know the numbers, um, and, and I don't want this to become a statistic. Like, every single number represents a name, and every name represents someone that's created in your image and matters to you. So, God, would you just keep doing one more here at this church? But when I've thought about the healthy attachments that have been instituted and begun to reform because of the loving, stable homes that have been raised up at this church Uh, I tell you, it's been a tearful, joyful week here at this church. I want to show you one more video by a guy named Chris. He's uh, Dr. Chris Kandaya. He's 
actually stood right on this stage before for a Foster the City event that we did. We um, flew him over here from England, and he did some speaking events and did some videos and whatnot. But he's also a foster dad and uh, just has a really sweet story and a precious call. So listen up. So I just had a crazy day at work, a really mind-numbingly, depressingly crazy day at work. And I got home, and my plan was just to lounge in front of Netflix and chill out for the evening. And then a three-year-old boy persuades me that this is the day we need to go to the park. And he has the most amazing persuasive skills, so off we go. That was the day that he managed to master riding a bicycle without training wheels on it. He's zooming around the park as fast as he can go. He's zooming because he hasn't worked out how he can stop yet. If he stops, he's going to fall over. But he is punching the air, and he is shouting, awesome, awesome, awesome. And I am having a God moment in this park because I know that a few months ago, this boy came into my house. He is a foster lad. He's experienced all sorts of terrible things that children should never have experienced. But now he is flourishing and I'm hearing his joy echoing around the park. Friends, my family have been foster parents for the last 16 and a half years. I can tell you it is one of the most difficult and challenging things our family has ever done, but it brings you moments of joy that connect you with God in a way that nothing else can. The Bible is so clear that God's heart is for vulnerable people, and when we align our lives with what God is doing, there is no greater joy on the planet. I want to encourage you, if you're someone that's considering foster care, that you should step into it with God's grace and God's wisdom. I can tell you 16 and a half years in, you will not regret giving yourself to the people that God loves because you will become closer to them, but also closer to him. Do it if you can. Bring friends around you. Get the wisdom of your church leaders and your family. But if you can possibly do it, it's one of the most joyful and exciting and exhilarating things you could ever think of doing. So just a word of celebration. Um, We just had an interest meeting here in September And we were praying because all of a sudden, uh, after years and different cycles of families, um, some foster family stories end up back with reunification with with the birth family. And we celebrate that and we champion that. And some end in adoption. So they fostered them, they took them in, they gave them a love and safe, safe, loving home. um, And it wasn't right for them to go back to their biological family. So they became adoptive stories. Um, right now, we have, uh, we have two active foster families. Um, the Chows, who are traveling this week, as you know, um, have been approved for foster care. They're, so they're literally just waiting for a child to be placed in their home. Um, and then the Pitagore Aarons are sitting here in the front row, and they are pursuing something called refugee foster care. We've talked about this and been open about this. Uh, but the fact that we've had two active foster families meant that we now have to have this model that we have is four support friends around every foster family. So at this interest meeting in September, we prayed and said, God, would you raise up? Uh, We needed five support friends, and we also needed a new advocate. What's an advocate? It's the person at every local church that is running this ministry, that is basically the pipeline between seeing the foster families, making sure the needs are met, meeting with church leaders, and keeping it on the radar, and all that kind of thing. 
Well, Jamie, because they were pursuing refugee foster care, needed to set down this work of being the advocate. So we prayed, God, would you raise up five new support friends to cover our families that are here at Neighborhood Bible? And would you raise up a new advocate from amongst our church at this interest meeting? And the very last thing we did, standing right over here, right near where Eric is sitting in the back, we circled up and we prayed. And right over here, a whole crew from NBC came right here. And let me tell you how God answered that prayer in September. That night, actually it wasn't that night, I think we had a couple of days of response, but God didn't raise up five support friends, he raised up six support friends. So all of our foster families are fully wrapped and supported and now trained. There's been a training that's gone on. And he didn't raise up one new advocate, he raised up two new advocates uh, from that meeting. So right now, clap and cheer because Samantha Hurst is going to come up. Veronica, uh, Veronica Texera and Jamie Pittigore Aaron. So come on up. <clears throat> so I just wanted to highlight a changing of the guards a little bit. And we celebrate starts and stops because God celebrates starts and stops. Jamie has been um, a really incredible leader at this church for this ministry. Um, she is, uh, she's just really gifted in all kinds of different ways, has a heart of gold, um, and we wanted to actually just say thank you. Jen, would you bring that up? Uh, we just wanted to say thank you for this season of service. Um, and Jamie, I'll just let you know, I, I have just needed this. I serve on Foster the sea, uh, City's leadership teams and all these things. And at our own church, I might forget some very, very basic things if it weren't for you. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And Jamie also has just this Um, I just call it a quiet, consistent wisdom. She just constantly, I love asking her the question, what else do we need to talk about? What do you see? And she will, she will drop just bombs of wisdom on us. So pearls of wisdom. Bomb sounds a little aggressive. So, um, Jamie, thank you. Uh, I just want to celebrate you. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, And then here's the other thing. Uh, She's actually now in a long line of advocates. There's been several who have um, had a heart for this ministry and they've, appropriately set it down when their family is going to take this ministry into their home and and pursue it literally every single day of the week because that's what foster care is. Um, and so we just, we celebrate. We don't just go with God's wisdom and God's grace, but we go with God's community. Um, and so Jamie, we're with you guys in this. And we love that you're setting this down um, because it's appropriate uh, just what's going on in your season of life. So thank you for that. Now that is setting down ministry, picking up new ministry. Um, I just want to introduce um, Samantha Hurst right here and Veronica Texera. Um, and they are the two ladies that said yes to being the advocate. So they are now transitioning this ministry. I really want them to be the, the face of this ministry for you. So as you have questions and have you, as you have ideas and those kinds of things come, um, both of them bring just, just worlds of different skills and life experiences and heart to it. Um, and uh, so anyways, we really celebrate you as well. Greta, can you come up and just pray over uh, this? If you're a support friend um, or a foster family, the chows are gone and the PAs are standing right here, um, would you stand up right now because you're part of this ministry and I want you just to stand up uh, where you are right now as a support friend, um, as a foster family, and, uh, and we will just pray over this group of people who are standing in our midst. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
Lord, thank you for your heart, Lord, for the widow and the orphan, and your heart for our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the ministry that uh, Foster the City, Foster the um, the Bay, and now Foster the City, Lord, has provided. Lord, thank you for all the servants um, that have been on that journey, Lord God, and are still to be on that journey. Um, Father, we come before you now and um, just are so thankful, Lord, for, for these servants that we have. We thank you for the work that Jamie has done. Um, and Father, as, uh, as Veronica and Samantha pick up the mantle, uh, Lord, we just pray that they would uh, continue to bring your heart forward, uh, to bring this ministry, Lord, to new ways of impact into our church body. And, uh, uh, and never forgetting the other part of it, too, Lord, that, uh, about your heart uh, and us being undefiled, Lord. And so just keeping those two together. Um, we thank you once again for these servants. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for your grace. Uh, we just thank you for how good you are and how you care for every last person, every person on earth, Lord. Um, and especially now we lift before you the orphan and the widow. Um, Lord, may we as a church come alongside you in this amazing work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Listen, let me roll through. You can bring the uh, slide back up, the keynote, you guys. Um, let me just show you uh, not just Foster the City. That's one of the ways that we, um, that we help as NBC. And by the way, on your, uh, on your seat right now is a way, if you haven't been to an interest meeting yet, that's a great first step to just begin to figure out how you can help. Um, but the second thing is through frontline families. What frontline families are are people who are actually doing this. And so they are a part of our church. And so our ministry extends through them. So it's not just that we partner with some organization out there. Frontline families are people walking through this. We have a long history of that going on um, uh, here as well. And I, had, I just had great joy. I actually thought of reading name after name after name after name after name of people in this church over the last 17 years who have given sacrificially, significantly, and consistently um, not only to this work, but being a frontline family. Uh, the third thing we have is something called Hope for the Journey. Um, I'm actually speaking next Sunday at a church. I, I, didn't, I wasn't going to take any more speaking engagements um, after Matt's transition till the end of the year. But guys, I have to tell you about this church I'm speaking at. Um, they're in Fremont. They're about 85 people strong. Many of them are young families. It's a predominantly Asian church. And two of their pastors sat right in here where the cooks are sitting over here at the Hope for the Journey conference. You see, one of their pastors is entering into foster care with young children. They have young biological children and they're entering into to foster care. And so they came to Hope for the Journey. And when they rolled out uh, Foster the City to their church, I met with their pastor a year and a half ago. He said, we're all in about this, but it's not the right time. I said, praise God, let's lean on the Lord's timing. When he rolled it out to his church, catch this, 85 people, they now have nine people going through the process of becoming foster families. Nine families. And then something like everyone else in the church is a support friend. And that makes up the number 85. Like basically the entire church. Catch this. You know what the church's name is? Listen, new life. Oh man, that's so good. Like I woke up, I had a bonus hour last night. God didn't let me sleep. I had about a two hour prayer time in the middle of the night. It's really quiet on our street in the middle of the night. I love it. 
I prayed over new life, and I just thought, Lord, that's what you did here. That's what you're doing here. You're making all things new. How? By making us brand new creations in you. So how do you get involved in this personally? Become a member of Neighborhood Bible Church. Hitch your wagon to what we're doing. When you give a dollar to NBC, I want you to know these are the lives, these are the family tree legacies that are being changed by this church. But more than giving, this church has significantly stepped into the front lines and done these things uh, from day one. God, we just thank you that today, on a day we celebrate 17 years uh, as a birthday, coincides with a Sunday that traditionally, for the better part of the entire church's existence, we've focused on caring for vulnerable children. Thank you for Phil and Mindy's leadership over this whole ministry for years. God, thank you for people who have significantly invested their lives, their energies, in helping bring children into our homes. God, that has changed our lives individually, our lives as a church family. And God, what a beautiful picture from that video to envision decades from now what it will look like to carry that story of new creation individual, new creation family, new creation, new life churches, passing on the legacy and caring for others who will come behind us. God, we are all in with you in this. Thank you for giving us eyes to see. It doesn't come from us. It comes from you. And we simply respond. Thank you, Lord.